0: If you'll now uh, flip over to uh, the Old Testament, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 24, reading all the way uh, to the end of chapter 7. Admittedly, this is a a long Old Testament narrative that we have to uh, tackle this morning. And just so that we'll have some bearings on what we are trying to see here in this lengthy section of God's Word, there's four responses. Four responses to the famine uh, that we'll read about uh, that we want to draw your attention to. And so even before we read, here is what you need to pay attention to. Here's what you need to notice. The response to the famine of King Jehoram the response of the famine to Elisha, the response of the famine to the four leprous men, and then the response of the king's officer to the famine, and then the miracles of God. And so again, starting in chapter 6, verse 24, reading through the end of chapter 7, verse 20. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army. And went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver, and a fourth part of a cob of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat. But she has hidden her son. When the king heard these words of the woman he tore his clothes now that he was passing by on the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath his body. And he said, May God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders this day. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. It's not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. And so they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, "'leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. "'And when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, "'they went into a tent and ate and drank. "'And they carried off silver and gold and clothing "'and went and hid them. "'Then they came back and entered another tent "'and carried off things from it and went and hid them. "'Then they said to one another, "'We are not doing right. "'This day is a day of good news.'" If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there. Nothing but the horses tied, and the donkeys tied, and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household, And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking that when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already Perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan. And behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians, So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley was sold for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain uh, on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel About this time tomorrow, in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Again, we're looking at four responses in this lengthy Section of God's Word. And the first response, as I've already mentioned, is King Jehoram and his response to the famine. It's there for us in verses 24 through 30. It's interesting to me that the author of this book begins to show us in verse 24 this wicked King Ben Hadad, the king of Syria, the king of the army that has. Formed against the people of God. And it's at this point that we should remember something of the story that Ben Hadad ought to know to not mess with the Lord's people. He should know something of the, the mightiness of Israel's God. Because it's already been shown to him through Naaman a few chapters before that the God of Israel can heal, can even take away leprosy from a man if he would just simply be obedient. He even would see his uh, grand servant, his number one man in all the kingdom of Syria, actually come to a saving knowledge of God, saying that he might sit in the temples of these idols, but that he would only worship and he would only sacrifice to the real God, the true God of Israel, the God of Elisha. And even more, Ben-Hadad would have... Heard the stories, if not already even there, how his army had been blinded as Elisha prayed, even in the beginning of chapter 6, that as Elisha prayed, the, the Syrian army was blinded. They were guided there into the very heart of the kingdom of Israel, into Samaria itself. Elisha prayed that they would be not blind any longer, and they look about and they see Israel's army. They see uh, that that their lives have been put into the hands of their enemies. And they would even hear King Jehoram, the king of Israel, ask Elisha, the prophet of God, should we kill him? And Elisha, you remember last week, responds, no. Prepare a feast before them and then send them back to Syria so that they might know the goodness of God. And so you would think that Ben Hadad would at this moment begin to think, maybe, just maybe, I should not mess with, I should not raise my hand against the people of God because they have the Lord, this supernatural God, this majestic and mighty God on their side. But in his ignorance, he continues to try to capture the city. But it's not Ben-Hadad who the author wants us to pay attention to. It's not Ben-Hadad's wickedness that he, he even wants us to pay attention to. He wants us to see the wickedness, the sinfulness of King Jehoram. He, he compares King Ben-Hadad, the, the king of the enemy armies, with King Jehoram, the king of Israel, the one who is supposed to pursue... God and pursue the things of God who is supposed to protect the people of God and and what we understand here is that in his sinfulness Ben-Hadad is guilty yet he is an unbeliever he is not a part of the people of God but here is King Jehoram here's King Jehoram who is supposed to be a part of the people of God he is supposed to know the laws of God He is supposed to know the power of God, the majesty of God, the goodness of God, and yet he is still very much a wicked man. He has fallen into the same sins of idolatry as his mother and father and his grandfather and his grandmother. We know something of his genealogy throughout the scriptures. And because of King Jehoram's wickedness, God has sent famine to the land of Israel, And that shouldn't catch us by surprise. Actually, a a good, faithful Bible reader, especially in the Old Testament, would know that this is often how God operates in the Old Testament. We could turn over to the book of Amos, chapter 4, in verses 1 through 8. It's declared to us there in Amos, chapter 4, that because of idolatry, God has sent famine to his people. He has sent destruction to his people. He has carried out his judgment against his people. And so we have this great famine in Samaria, the capital of the kingdom of Israel, and it's so bad. You notice there in verses 25, 26, and 27 that it's so bad that Let's just be honest with ourselves here. Let us be as blunt as the scriptures are blunt. A part of a cob, a fourth part of a cob of dove's dung is going for five shekels of silver. Here it is that this is one quart or maybe even one liter of dove's dung that is going for a... Shekel or five shekels of silver, this would be over a week's wage. The inflation in the kingdom of Israel has gotten so bad that, that even the, what we would even despise to eat, what even we would despise to eat has became, has became unattainable for the people of God. And in desperation, you see the, the, the mind-boggling scene there with King Jehoram interacting with this woman there next to the wall of the kingdom of Israel that she has given up her son so that they may eat. And now this other woman, this other mother, has hidden her son when it was her son's time to die. We're in dire straits, aren't we? We're in the lowest of the low places. And it would be at this moment that Jehoram should know the history of Israel. He should know how his God, the God of his country, operates. It's at this moment that he should repent and believe in the God of Elisha, in the God of his fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and yet He continues to harden His heart. You see, every time the Lord in the Old Testament begins to judge the nation, judge His people, it's always in a, it's always in a, a chance that they would now repent and turn back to Him. We, we see this pattern, if you will, in the whole book of Judges where God judges His people he then hears their cries and their repentance and so he sends them a deliverer and then they fall back into their sins and iniquities and so he judges them again and then they cry out for deliverance and so he sends a redeemer and it's a cycle over and over and over and the, and the theme in which judges carries itself out is each and every time that they fall back into their sins they fall deeper into their sins. And they do what is right in their own eyes. That is something of the picture that we have here. We have hit the, the bottom, if you will. We have, we've reached a point of desperation, and, and yet King Jehoram refuses. He refuses to repent. He actually becomes something of a, of a, a great hypocrite here in verses 30 and 31. If you look back at verses 30 and 31, you, you know, as we've read it, that King Jehoram is walking towards the wall of the kingdom of Israel, but now that he is on the wall, where everyone could see him, he's received a platform, if you will. He begins to tear his clothes, and he begins to show that there's sackcloth beneath him on his body, and, and you want to know how we know this isn't real repentance? Repentance how this is hypocrisy, how he continues to harden his heart against God, he begins to say, may God do unto me what you have done to this son, or even worse, if if I do not kill Elisha the prophet uh, this day. And so when he receives all the attention, he looks like he's in mourning, he looks like he is grieving. He looks like he is about to repent, but yet he pushes God away even farther and he begins to strike out against God's prophet. And isn't really that what we often see even in today's culture? That as God sends his judgment upon us, the options are very limited. Really, there are two. Either we will repent and turn back to God, or we will harden our hearts even further against Him, push Him away, and strike out against His Word. That's the same two options that we see throughout the Acts narrative. If you think about the the growing church, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to glory. In Acts chapter 2, He sends Pentecostal fire upon His people. Then Peter begins to preach. And then from that sermon in Acts chapter 2 all the way through the end of the book of Acts, we see preaching after preaching and kingdom growth after kingdom growth and constantly as the people hear in Acts the message of the Gospel going out. this, This call to repent and believe. You see two responses. Some people repent and some people harden their heart. Some people turn towards God And some people turn farther away from him. And that's what we see here in King Jehoram. That as he has this opportunity to return to the Lord, as he has the opportunity to repent of his sin and idolatry, his wickedness, his sinfulness, he turns his back further to the Lord. But next we need to see the response of Elisha in verses 32 and 33, actually all the way through the second verse of chapter 7. And so, 32, 33, verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 7. As we see the hypocrisy of Jehoram, we see the restfulness of Elisha. We see the restfulness of Elisha. Look just at verse 32. Elisha was sitting in his house... And the elders were sitting with him. There's a a complete peace here. There's a calmness here. The, The famine is raging. Yes, they are hungry. Yes, they are in the midst of these dire straits as well. And yet, they are completely at peace. They are resting upon the promises of God. Even as you see Elisha receiving the news supernaturally by the Holy Spirit that there is a murderer coming from King Jehoram to put him to death, you do not see him bothered by this much at all. He actually just says, you know what, when he comes, shut the door. That that seems pretty anticlimactic, doesn't it? Elisha, there's someone coming to kill you. Just shut the door. Does that not catch anybody by surprise? I'm loading all of my guns. I'm finding a bulletproof vest. Not sure where I'd find a bulletproof vest, but I'm finding one. I'm doing anything and everything that I might try to do to preserve my own life. And Elisha says, my life is in the hands of the Lord. It would be as if there was a threat against my own life. And and Beth comes and she begins to declare, Matt, there's someone that's going to kill you. And I would say, you know what? We probably should shut the garage door. That's probably what we need to do. It seems pretty anticlimactic, doesn't it? But it shows you the the peace, the the restfulness that Elisha has in the promises of God. He He is totally relying upon the Lord. He is saying, my life is the Lord's. If if it's His will for me to perish at the hands of this murder, so be it. But yet, in fact, it is not His will because I have something to say. Remember, when Elisha speaks, the Lord speaks. And so you hear the, the trustworthiness of God in the words of Elisha in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. He says... There will be a time, and that time is tomorrow, that we will eat and we will feast. Two sias of fine flour shall shall be sold for one shekel, and two sias of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Notice the reversal. We're eating dove's dung for a week's worth of pay in the first part of our text. And now Elisha's promising us the best of the best food for a day's labor, very affordable, very attainable. And he says it's going to happen right here at the gate of Samaria. And something should be kind of alerting you at this point. Not only are we in the midst of a famine, but Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, has just besieged Samaria. It's enemy territory now for the people of God. The enemy king now rules over it. And now Elisha the prophet is saying that the Lord is going to provide this feast for the people. And of course, our minds should be racing to texts like Psalm 23. That Psalm that we know very well. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And it says in that psalm, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now I think that oftentimes we think that that is the Lord promising us a a, a McDonald's Happy Meal as we're on the run from our enemies. That's not what the Lord's saying. He's saying we're going to sit down and we're going to feast. We're going to rest. We're going to enjoy ourselves While the enemies are in calamity around us, you see what the promise here from Elisha is: is not that the Syrian army is going to feast, it's that the people of God are going to feast. And in fact, as we see Elisha's response and we see the lepers' response, the lepers are the ones feasting, right? And where are they feasting? In the enemy camps. You know, it's that well-known promise of the Gospels that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is he promising us? He's saying, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to preserve my people. I'm going to cause my people to flourish right in enemy territory. And that's what we see here. The four lepers, as they respond to the famine... They pretty much say, uh, you know what, we're going to die. If if we're lepers on the outskirts of the city, we're going to die. If we go into the city of Samaria, there's no food there. We're going to die. So guess what? We're just going to shoot our shot, we might say. We're going to go right into the Syrian army. We're going to go right into their camps. If they kill us, we're dead men anyway. But maybe, just maybe, they'll feed us. And they go. They go to these Syrian encampments. And you notice how how the author writes. It says, so they go into the city, in verse 8 of chapter 7. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, and they ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent, and they carried off things from it and went and hid them. And then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Notice what is happening here in the response of the four lepers They go into the Syrian camp. To their surprise, behold, it says, there's no one here. And so they begin to feast. They begin to take possessions. They begin to understand that there is something supernatural going on here. The Syrian army is supposed to be here. They're not here. They've left everything. They've left their horses. They've left their donkeys They've left all of their treasures. They've left the tents exactly how they were. It's a ghost town, it seems to be saying. And so they begin to realize that there is something majestic happening right here. And they begin to eat. And they begin to drink. And they begin to take the possessions, the treasures, for themselves. And they go and they hide them. And isn't this the message of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13? It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which when a man finds it, he hides it. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to go and buy that field. You see what the message is here. It's that this this treasure... This feasting for the people of God is so good, is so right, is so supernatural that the Lord has given to His people fine wines, great food, rest, and peace that we have to go tell someone about it. We have to go tell someone about it. Understand what it means here is they're not hiding them out of selfishness. They're hiding it so that they might give it to others. It's that idea that the Word of God can be hidden in our hearts so that we might not sin against God and so that we might know the Word of God so that we might preach it in season and out of season. It's not a selfish hiding. It's a hiding away. It's a stowing away so that others might see and others might enjoy and others might experience what we are experiencing. And that is exactly the Christian life for the people of God. That even in enemy territory, we have a good news of great joy for all people. That because our Lord, through Jesus Christ, has given us the riches beyond all comparison, has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies, you should come and you should eat and you should know this treasure too. You should enjoy what I am enjoying you need to come and see what the Lord has done. And very briefly, as we see the response of the king's officer, don't you see that as the lepers come to, come to the kingdom, the very house of King Jehoram in verses 12 through 20, they're telling them of this great thing in which the Lord has done. He has given to us the Syrian camps. He has given to us the food and the riches of the kingdom of Syria. The land that seemed to be feasting is now in mourning. And now us who were in mourning, now we are feasting. It's a reversal, don't you see? That when it seems like our enemies have the upper hand, the Lord changes it. The Lord flips it and says, no, my people will have the upper hand. And immediately again in hypocrisy and sinfulness king Jehoram hardens his heart against the work of God and the lepers say why don't you just go and see why don't you just come and see what the Lord's doing and isn't that one of the themes of the gospels in john chapter 1 verse 37 nathaniel says to philip can anything good come out of nazareth nathaniel saying to philip You you tell me how great this Jesus is, but I know where He's from. And nothing good has ever came out of Nazareth. Nothing majestic has ever come out of Nazareth. And what does Philip say? Why don't you just go and see? Why don't you come and see the Lord Jesus? And even there at the tomb in the garden after Jesus is resurrected, for the pangs of death could not hold Him as the women come to the tomb on that first Easter morning, as they see the stone rolled away, and they're in utter disbelief. Surely our Lord has not risen. The angel says to them, why don't you just go and see? Why don't you come and see what the Lord has done? And you know the Gospel, circling right back to where we began, the Gospel demands two responses. When the invitation is for you is to come and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and see how He has prepared a place of feasting for you. Come and see how He is preparing a mansion for you. Come and see how by faith you may receive the riches of the Gospel, all blessings from His hand. Look and see, come and see how He might give you all of heaven and all of earth. Come and see how He'll even bring you into His presence. The way that we respond is either we turn our attention to Christ in faith or we turn our backs farther against Him. And the response of those who turn farther against Him is given to us here in this text. It's actually repeated twice for us so that we know the gravity of what takes place for those who turn their backs against the Lord. They will see, but they will be trampled to death. You see, what the promises of Paul in Philippians is, is that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And it will happen on that last day when the Lord comes back for His people. And on that day, will there be feasting for you? Or will you be trampled underfoot by God and His judgment? Will you know the destruction of the Lord? Or will you know the feasting of the Lord? Beloved, I hope you will know the feasting, the feasting that is spoken so beautifully about in Isaiah chapter 55. It says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, even if you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, and your wages for what will not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear. Come to me hear, and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you the sure mercies of the God of David. You know, that is the invitation for us. Come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. Come and feast with Him. Come and know His salvation. Don't turn your attention to the things of the world which will not satisfy, but come and let your soul delight in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ Himself, so that when He comes, we might say, yes, I have no money, but I can come based upon the righteousness of Christ. I can come based upon His victory over death. I can come and see what the Lord has done, and I can relish. I can be satisfied. I might rest in Him and feast with Him. The rest of my days. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to this your word, and we pray, Lord, that as we think of the gospel, that we would respond accordingly, that we would see Christ in all of his beauty, in all of his majesty, in all of his goodness, and that we would come to him in saving faith and repentance, so that we might not face death, eternal death on the last day, but that we might face we might face a feast that's been prepared for us so that we might enjoy so that we might enjoy restfulness, Sabbath rest in heaven, uh, the rest of eternity. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen.